Chapter Four of Our Holmes and Company. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Our Holmes and Company, being the remarkable adventures of Raffles Holmes, Esquire, detective and amateur cracksman by birth, by John Kendrick Bangs. Chapter Four The Adventure of the Missing Pendants. I think said Raffles Holmes, as he ran over his expense account while sitting in my library one night some months ago, that in view of the present condition of my exchequer, my dear Jenkins, it behooveth me to get busy. Owning a motor-car is a damned expensive piece of business, and my balance at the bank has shrunk to about $1,683.59, thanks to my bills for cogs, clutches, and gasoline, plus the chauffeur's fines. In what capacity shall you work, Raffles or Holmes? I asked pausing in my writing, and regarding him with that affectionate interest which contact with him had inspired in me. "'Play the combination always, Jenkins,' he replied. "'If I did the raffles act alone, I should become the billionaire in this land of silk and money, your rich are so careless of their wealth. But where would my conscience be? On the other hand, if I stuck to the Holmes Act exclusively, I'd starve to death. But the combination, ah! There is moderate fortune, my boy, with peace of mind thrown in.' Here he rose up, buttoned his coat about his spare figure, and reached out for his hat. "'I guess I'll tackle that case of the missing pendants tomorrow,' he continued, flicking the ash from his cigar and gazing up at the ceiling with that strange twist in his eye which I had learned to regard as the harbinger of a dawning idea in his mind. "'There's ten thousand dollars for somebody in that job, and you and I might as well have it as anyone else.' "'I'm ready,' said I, as well I might be, for all I had to do in the matter was to record the adventure and take half of the profits.' No very difficult proceeding in either case. Good, quoth he. I'll go to Gaffney and Company tomorrow and offer my services. You have a clue? I asked. I have an idea, he answered. As for the lost diamonds, I know no more of their whereabouts than you do, but I shall be able beyond all question to restore to Gaffney and Company two pendants just as good as those they have lost, and if I do that I am entitled to the reward, I fancy, am I not? Most certainly, said I. But where the dickens will you find two such stones? They are worth $50,000 apiece, and they must match perfectly the two remaining jewels which Gaffney and company have in their safe. I'll match them so closely that their mother couldn't tell them apart, said Holmes with a chuckle. Then the report that they are of such rarity of cut and luster is untrue, I asked. It's perfectly true, said Holmes. But that makes no difference. The two stones that I shall return two weeks from today to Gaffney and company will be as like the two they have as they are themselves. Ta-ta, Jenkins. You can count on your half of that ten thousand as surely as though it jingled now in your pockets. And with that, Raffles Holmes left me to my own devices. I presume that most readers of the daily newspapers are tolerably familiar with the case of the missing pendants to which Holmes referred, and on the quest for which he was now about to embark. There may be some of you, however, who have never heard of the mysterious robbery of Gaffney and Company, by which two diamonds of almost matchless purity, half of a quartet of those stones, pear-shaped and valued at fifty thousand dollars each, had disappeared almost as if the earth had opened and swallowed them up. They were a part of the famous Gloria diamond, found last year at Kimberley, a huge, uncut gem of such value that no single purchaser for it could be found in the world. By a syndicate arrangement, Gaffney and Company had assumed charge of it, and were in the process of making for a customer a bar with four pendants cut from the original when two of them disappeared. They had been last seen in the hands of trusted employee of many years standing, to whom they had been entrusted for mounting, and he had been seen to replace them at the end of the day's work in the little cage-like office of the custodian of the safe in which jewels of great value were kept at night. This was the last scene of them, and although five weeks had elapsed since the discovery of their loss, 
and Holmes's decision to look into the matter, no clue of the slightest description had been discovered by the thousands of sleuths, professional or amateur, who had interested themselves in the case. He has such assurance, I muttered. To hear him talk, one would almost believe that they were already in his possession. I did not see Raffles Holmes again for five days, and then I met him only by chance. Nor should I have known it was he had he not made himself known to me. I was on my way uptown a little after six o'clock, and as I passed Gaffney's, an aged man emerged from the employee's entrance, carrying a small bag in his hand. He was apparently very nearsighted, for he most unceremoniously bumped into me as he came out of the door onto the sidewalk. Deference to age has always been a weakness of mine, and I apologized, although it was he that was at fault. Don't mention it, Jenkins, he whispered. You are just the man I want to see. Café Panhard, tonight, eleven o'clock. Just happen in, and if a foreign-looking person with a red beard speaks to you, don't throw him down but act as if you were not annoyed by his mistake. "'You know me?' I asked. "'Tosh, man, I'm Raffles Holmes.' And with that, he was off. His makeup was perfect, and as he hobbled his way along Broadway through the maze of cars, trucks, and hansoms, there was not in any part of him a hint or a suggestion that brought to mind my alert partner. Of course, my excitement was intense. I could hardly wait for eleven o'clock to come, and at nine-thirty I found myself in front of the Café Panhard a full hour and a half ahead of time and never were there more minutes in that period of waiting than there seemed to be then as I paced Broadway until the appointed hour. It seemed ages before the clock down in front of the Willard building pointed to 10.55, but at last the moment arrived, and I entered the café, taking one of the little tables in the farthest corner, where the light was not unduly strong, and where the turmoil of the Hungarian band was reduced by distance from molto fortissimo to a moderate approach to a penissimo, which would admit of conversation. Again I had to wait, but not for so long a time. It was twenty minutes past eleven when a fine-looking man of military bearing, wearing a full red beard, entered, and after looking the café over, sauntered up to where I sat. "'Good evening, Mr. Jenkins,' he said, with a slight foreign accent. "'Are you alone?' "'Yes,' said I. "'If you don't mind, I should like to sit here for a few moments,' he observed, pulling out the chair opposite me. "'I have your permission?' "'Certainly, Mr.—er—' "'Robinstein is my name,' said he, sitting down and producing a letter from his pocket. I have here a note from my old friend Raffles Holmes, a note of introduction to you. I am a manufacturer of paste jewels, or rather was. I have had one or two misfortunes in my business, and I find myself here in America practically stranded. Your place of business was? In the Rue de la Chelle in Paris, he explained. I lost everything in unfortunate speculation, and have come here to see if I could not get a new start. Mr. Holmes thinks you can use your influence with Marco and Company, the theatrical costumers, who, I believe, manufactured themselves all the stage jewelry they use in their business, to give me something to do. It was said at Paris that the gems which I made were of such quality that they would deceive, for a time anyhow, the most expert lapidaries, and if I can only get an opening with Marco and Company, I am quite confident that you will not repent having exerted your good offices on my behalf. Why, certainly, Mr. Rubenstein, said I. Any friend of Ravel's Holmes may command my services. I know Tommy Marco very well and as this is a pretty busy time with him, getting his stuff out for the fall productions, I have little doubt that I shall be able to help you. By Jove, I added as I glanced over the café. That's a singular coincidence. There is Marco himself just coming in the doorway. Really? said Mr. Rubenstein, turning and gazing towards the door. He is a different-looking chap from what I had imagined. Perhaps, Mr. Jenkins, it would, er, expedite matters if you... Of course, I interrupted. Tommy is alone. We'll have him over and I beckoned to Marcou and invited him to join us. "'Good,' said he in his whole-souled way. "'Glad to have a chance to see you. I'm so confoundedly busy these days. Just think of it. I've been at the shop ever since eight o'clock this morning.' 
"'Tommy, I want to introduce you to my friend Mr. Robinstein,' said I. "'Not Isidore Robinstein of Paris,' said Marcou. "'I have that misfortune, Mr. Marcou,' said Robinstein. "'Misfortune? Gad, Mr. Robinstein, we look at things through different glasses,' returned Marcou. "'The man who can do your work ought never to suffer misfortune.' "'If he only stays out of the stock market,' said Robinstein. "'Aha!' laughed Tommy. "'Et tu, Brute?' We all laughed, and if there was any ice to be broken after that, it was along the line of business of the café. We got along famously together, and when we parted company, two hours later, all the necessary arrangements had been made for Mr. Robinstein to begin at once with Marcou, the following day, in fact. Four nights later, Holmes turned up at my apartment. "'Well,' said I, "'have you come to report progress?' "'Yes,' he said. "'The reward will arrive on time. "'But it's been the devil's own job.' "'Pretty, aren't they?' he added, "'taking a small package wrapped in tissue paper out of his pocket "'and disclosing its contents. "'Jerusalem, what beauties!' I cried, "'as my eyes fell on two such diamonds as I had never before seen. "'They sparkled on the paper like bits of sunshine, "'and that their value was quite a hundred thousand dollars, "'it did not take one like myself, who knew little of gems, to see at a glance. "'You have found them, have you?' "'Found what?' asked Raffles Holmes. "'The missing pendant,' said I. "'Well, not exactly,' said Raffles Holmes. I think I'm on the track of them, though. There's an old chap who works beside me down at Gaffney's who spends so much of his time drinking ice water that I'm getting to be suspicious of him. I roared with laughter. The ice water habit is evidence of a criminal nature, eh? I queried. Not per se, said Holmes gravely, but in conjunctibus. If my Latin is weak, please correct me. It is a very suspicious habit. When I see a man drink ten glasses of water in two hours, it indicates to my mind that there is something in the water cooler that takes his mind off his business. It is not likely to be either the ice or the water on the doctrine of probabilities. Hence, it must be something else. I caught him yesterday with his hand in it. His hand? In the water cooler? I demanded. Yes, said Holmes. He said he was fishing around for a little piece of ice to cool his head, which ached. But I think differently. He got as pale as a ghost when I started in to fish for a piece for myself because my head ached too. I think he took the diamonds and has hid them there. But I'm not sure yet, and in my business I can't afford to make mistakes. If my suspicions are correct, he is merely awaiting his opportunity to fish them out and light out with them. Then these, I said, are... Are they paste? No, indeed, they're the real thing, said Ravels Holmes, holding up one of the gems to the light, where it fairly coruscated with brilliance. These are the other two of the original quartet. Good heavens, Holmes! Do you mean to say that Gaffney and company permit you to go about with things like this in your pocket? I demanded. Not they, laughed Holmes. They'd have a fit if they knew I had them, only they don't know it. "'But how have you concealed the fact from them?' I persisted. "'Rubenstein made me appear exactly like them,' said Holmes. "'The paste ones are now lying in the Gaffney safe, "'where I saw them placed before leaving the shop tonight.' "'You're too deep for me, Holmes,' said I. "'What's the game?' "'Now don't say game, Jenkins,' he protested. "'I never indulge in games. "'My quarry is not a game, but a scheme. "'For the past two weeks, with three days off, "'I have been acting as a workman at the Gaffney shop.' with the ostensible purpose of keeping my eye on certain employees who are under suspicion. Each day the remaining two pendant stones, these, have been handed to me to work on, merely to carry out the illusion. The first day, in odd moments, I made sketches of them, and on the night of the second I had them down in such detail as to cut and color that Robinstein had no difficulty in reproducing them in the material to his disposal in Marcou's shop. And tonight all I had to do to get them was to keep them and hand in the Rubinstein substitutes when the hour of closing came. So that now, in place of four... $50,000 diamonds, Gaffney and company are in possession of two paste pendants worth about $40 apiece, said Holmes. If I fail to find the originals, I shall have to use the paste ones to carry the scheme through, though I hate to do it. It's so confoundedly inartistic, 
and as old a trick as the pyramids. And tomorrow... Raffles Holmes got up and paced the floor nervously. Ah, Jenkins, he said with a heart-rending sigh, that is the point. Tomorrow! Heavens, what will tomorrow's story be? I... I cannot tell. What's the matter, Holmes? said I. Are you in danger? Physically, no. Morally? My God, Jenkins, yes. I shall need all of your help, he cried. What can I do? I asked. You know you have only to command me. Don't leave me this night for a minute, he groaned. If you do, I am lost. The raffles in me is rampant when I look at those jewels and think of what they will mean if I keep them. An independent fortune forever. All I have to do is get aboard a ship and go to Japan and live in comfort the rest of my days with the wealth in my possession, and all the instincts of honesty that I possess, through the father in me, will be powerless to prevent my indulgence in this crime. Keep me in sight, and if I show the slightest inclination to give you the slip, knock me over the head, will you, for my own good. I promised faithfully that I would do as he asked, but, as an easier way out of an unpleasant situation, I drugged his Remsen cooler with a sleeping powder, and an hour later he is lying off on my divan, lost to the world for eight hours at least. As a further precaution, I put the jewels in my own safe. The night's sleep had the desired effect, and with the returning day, Holmes's better nature asserted itself. Raffles was subdued, and he returned to Gaffney's to put the finishing touches to his work. "'Here's your check, Jenkins,' said Raffles Holmes, handing me a draft for $5,000. The gems were found today in the water cooler in the workroom, and Gaffney and company paid up like a gentleman. "'And the thief?' I asked. "'Under arrest,' said Raffles Holmes. "'We caught him fishing for them.' "'And your paste jewels? Where are they?' "'I wish I knew,' he answered, his face clouding over. "'In the excitement of the moment of the arrest, "'I got them mixed with the originals I had last night, "'and they didn't give me time or opportunity to pick them out. "'The four were mounted immediately "'and sent under guard to the purchaser. "'Gaffney and company didn't want to keep them a minute longer than was necessary. "'But the purchaser is so rich he will never have to sell them. "'So, you see, Jenkins, we're as safe as a church.' "'Your friend Robinstein was a character, Holmes,' said I. "'Yes,' sighed Holmes. "'Poor chap. "'He was a great loss to his friends. "'He taught me the art of making paste gems when I was in Paris. "'I shall miss him like the Dickens.' "'Miss him?' said I, getting anxious for Rubenstein. "'What happened? "'He isn't?' "'Dead,' said Holmes. Two years ago, dear old chap.' "'Oh, come now, Holmes,' I said. "'What new game is this you are rigging on me? "'I met him only five nights ago, and you know it.' "'Oh, that one,' said Raffles Holmes with a laugh. "'I was that Rubenstein.' "'You?' I cried. "'Yes, me,' said Holmes. "'You don't suppose I'd let a third party into our secret, do you?' And then he gave me one of those sweet, wistful smiles that made the wonder of the man all the greater. "'I wished the Dickens I knew whether these were real or paste,' he muttered, taking the extra pendants from his wallet as he spoke. "'I don't dare ask anybody, and I haven't got any means of telling myself.' "'Give them to me,' said I, sternly, noting a glitter in his eyes that suggested the domination for the moment of the raffles in him. "'Tush, Jenkins,' he began uneasily. "'Give them to me, or I'll brain you, Holmes,' said I, standing over him with a soda-water bottle gripped in my right hand, "'for your own good. Come, give up.' He meekly obeyed. "'Come now, get on your hat,' said I. "'I want you to go out with me.' "'What for, Jenkins?' he almost snarled. "'You'll see what for,' said I. And Raffles Holmes obeying, we walked down to the river's edge, where I stood for a moment, and then hurled the remaining stones far out into the waters. Holmes gave a gasp, and then a sigh of relief. "'There,' I said. It doesn't matter to us much now whether the confounded things were real or not. End of chapter 4 Recording by Todd